Um, it's funny. A friend just asked me, he's like, are you nervous? And I was like, no. And a good deal of that is just thanks to good sponsorship. I, uh, I was taught from the beginning, never to say no to an AA request. So I always do. Um, and I can say it tonight because nobody did it, but I, uh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when somebody is asked to read like chapter three or chapter five, and they do it like it's the most taxing thing they've been asked to do in their entire life. Really, have you seen this and fail this early I'm like, if I had seen that when I was new, I would have been like, oh my God, all of you people are miserable. So not only do I always say yes, I always try to do it with a level of enthusiasm for the program because that's, uh, that's what's real for me. And uh, my sponsor also told me there's no reason to be nervous because this is exactly where God needs me to be. And I'm also not that important. So <laughs> um, happy Mother's Day. I, Brandy, especially, you just got some good news for your family. I'm very happy for you. Um, it's tough for me to say I did not truly appreciate my mom until I got sober. Um, we have a phenomenal relationship now. I got to talk to her today. Um, she calls me for advice, which is crazy. Both of my older brothers were the golden children. And uh, I have gotten to make amends to her and to my dad. And today I try to do a few things every day to, to continue that living amends with her. That's She's one amazing, amazing woman. And, um, you know, I had no bad childhood. I had no excuses for being an alcoholic. I grew up right here, right down the street. Last time I got arrested, it was like half a block right down there. So I was like, oh, yeah. Um, and uh, my parents are still together. Great home. I never wanted for anything. Um, you know, I always did well in school. But when I was in like sixth grade, I, uh, I was just really uncomfortable in my own skin. My first drink, I believe firmly that I was an alcoholic from the jump because when I was four, I was out to dinner with my family. We were up at the lodge at Pebble Beach, like a nice restaurant. And I will never forget it as long as I live. My, uh, I can just tell you what I was wearing, what my brothers were wearing. And um, my dad had ordered an Amstel light in a tall frosty glass. And he got up to go to the bathroom and uh, my mom was dealing with my brothers and I grabbed his glass and I took a sip. And I remember thinking to myself, this is disgusting. And then I finished it, yeah. <laughs> I chugged the rest of it. And uh, when he got back to the table, he was like, what happened? Where's my drink? And I was like, daddy, this apple juice is really sour. And, uh, <laughs> well, I was definitely, you know, engaged in alcoholic behavior before I even, when I took that first drink. But I didn't start truly feeling that discomfort in my own skin until around sixth grade. And I remember telling my parents, like, I'm just, I'm just uncomfortable. I just don't feel good. I don't want to go to school. And I had no reason for that. And my parents would tell me that. You know, like, you're a pretty girl. You've got tons of friends. You do well in school, tons of extracurricular activities. Like, you should be fine. You should be good. So then I started to internalize that. And I was like, I should be fine. Why am I not fine? <laughs> And I asked to go to therapy when I was in sixth grade and that terrified my parents. They were like, oh my God, she's crazy. We're sending her to the psychiatrist instead. So I got put on some pretty heavy meds when I was like 11, Xanax and Adderall for an, an 11 year old, just, you know, breeds to be an alcoholic. But uh, that the minute that I started taking medication, I felt that sense of calm, that sense of, oh, okay. Like I could exhale, you know, that's what was missing this whole time. And it worked for a long time. And I, and I don't blame my parents for that at all. They were just doing what 
they thought was best for me and what they thought was right. I did really well in high school. I did, you know, AP classes, IV classes, didn't really drink that much, but any time that I did, we all got away with it because, you know, I was doing well in school. I was, you know, gotten into college. And when I really went away to college at UCSB, that's when I really learned how to drink appropriately and professionally. And uh, I picked up a, a drug charge right away in college and it didn't scare me at all. I did everything that I had to do to get that cleared up uh, to the point where I had to drive back down here one day a week for like four months to do this drug class because San Juan Capistrano was the only place that offered it. And I, would, and I wouldn't tell my parents, I didn't tell anybody, I would drive back down here and drive all the way back up. And then I would just continue drinking the way that I wanted to. And, um, you know, alcohol didn't really become a problem for me. In college, I, I was able to graduate with good grades. Um, and after that, I moved down to L.A. and I went to paramedic school at UCLA. And like this, you'll see a pattern in my life of my jobs being very reflective of what was going on in my head at the time. So Inglewood paramedic, like I love the chaos. I absolutely thrive in that. And then I worked in the emergency room after that. So uh, when I went to uh, paramedic school at UCLA, it was me and one other girl and 48 guys. It was like my dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I have two big brothers and I always wanted to do what they did. I always wanted to be one of the guys. And, you know, so I, I drank and I partied with firefighters and paramedics and uh, they had the ridiculous responsibility for us to dispose of the expired medications on the ambulance. And so it was just like, what a waste. I was gonna put those right here in my pocket. It was perfectly good morphine. And uh, you know, we were already practicing IVs on one another. Um, you know, so it just it just seemed right. And I like in my mind, all it was just all ego for me. You know, I know the pharmacology of everything. I've got my little advanced <laughs> crash kit right here just in case something bad happens, you know. I've got the cleanest, most perfect rigs on the world. Uh, you know, everything, just pure ego. And that was my first experience um, shooting up opiates. I know this is the meaning of Alcoholics Anonymous, but drugs are a, a big part of my story. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, you know, I continued to drink and I had a really ridiculous lifestyle where I would be sleeping at crazy times and awake for days at a time, but it made sense with, with my paramedic schedule. So nobody caught on, not even my friends caught on. And uh, after that, I went to PA school at USC and uh, I calmed down a little bit in PA school and, uh, you know, things started to get really bad again towards the end. And towards the end of PA school is when I first tried to stop drinking. And I could, I could successfully stop drinking for four months while I was preparing for the board exam. And I, uh, but I was still doing everything else under the sun because I needed it to study. And uh, when I, when I passed that board exam, it was a really rigorous three-day exam, with two days of didactic and one day of clinical. Uh, I drank again and I lost 11 days. I, I still to this day do not remember what happened during that time. What I did, I know I yelled at my leasing office manager at some point. Uh, the only like track record that I have of that vendor is the five grand that I spent on Amazon and ordered like 36 packages and my leasing office was pissed at me. And you guys, I bought the weirdest stuff. I bought this like bow and arrow 
I bought a rose gold knife set. I bought a guitar. I don't play the guitar. I bought a bike. I do still have that bike and I've got a ton of gratitude for it. Um, I bought a bunch of fake succulents. Like I was going to do all these arrangements. I don't even know. It's just crazy stuff. And uh, that absolutely terrified me when I came to. I remember thinking that the world was messing with me, that, you know, it couldn't possibly be the day that it was. And I stayed, I swore on my life I was never going to drink again. And I meant it. I was really, really scared. And that solemn oath lasted less than two hours before I was standing at my freezer, chugging vodka, chasing it with frozen cookie dough, like genuinely wondering to myself, how did I get here again? What is wrong with me? What am I doing? And uh, I started to work at the hospital up at uh, UCLA in the emergency room. And that's where I met him. And uh, he was, he is one of us too. And uh, our whole group of doctors and nurses and PAs and everybody, like we all drank and partied pretty hard. There was a lot of money there. You know, we, there's just so much ego, like talk about playing God in my life and, and other people's. And I just, I couldn't see it. Like I thought I, this is my level of insanity. I used to go down to the lab in the hospital in the middle of the night and I would draw my own blood and I would run my own lab work to make sure I hadn't shot out my liver or kidneys yet so that I could continue drinking the way that I wanted to. And in my mind, I see no issue with that. Like I'm responsible and I'm a genius. <laughs> Just crazy. Like, like the absolute insanity, but the scary kind where like, I don't see it. I, I don't know how abnormal that is. I don't know how you know, terrible that is. And uh, life continued on that way. And I can, I got progressively worse pretty quickly. Um, I, we ended up getting engaged and I, uh, my, my first DUI was on our wedding day <laughs> and I did not make it to our wedding. I, I blew a 0.38. Everybody always asks, were you in your dress yet? No, but hair and makeup were done. So I do look really pretty in my mugshot. <laughs> and uh, I was in a button up flannel and my hospital clogs. And I was going from the Ritz Carlton and Marina Del Rey to my apartment, which was literally half a block down the street. And everyone's like, why were you driving on your wedding day? And I was like, because I had cocaine at my apartment and I didn't want to share <laughs> and so I told, you know, I'm like, I'll just dip out real quick, say I need a minute. And in that time span of, of half a block, I totaled my car and somebody else's. I blew a 0.38 and the cop was like, were you seriously going to go get married like this? And my response is, you're crazy. I'm fine. You know, I get taken to jail and all I'm doing all that night is screaming at my fiance for not bailing me out of jail. Good for him. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it either. Uh, he wasn't too thrilled. He, his mom has about 24 years in the program now. So he's very familiar with alcoholism and he just wasn't as deep in it at that time as I was. And that relationship ended again, good for him. <laughs> and I was devastated. I was absolutely crushed. That was so much of my identity. That was my whole friend group. Um, you know, I thought that I had to be the appropriate amount of sad around my friends because we shared all the same friends and heaven forbid anybody see how vulnerable I truly am and how much I'm really hurting. So I would only drink a little bit around them and then I would go home and I would drink the way that I wanted to, which was to oblivion every single night. Uh, after that, I spiraled very quickly and the judge had the audacity to send me to AA about six weeks after that incident. 
And, uh, and by this time, the relationship had ended. And so I Googled what meetings do hot guys go to in LA to find my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got all dolled up. I looked ridiculous. I was in like spike heels, like my hair was in a pomp. I was so terrible. And I was very disappointed when I showed up to the Yacht <laughs> Club. And I come in and I, and I sit down and I'm pissed and everyone's identifying and going around the room. And they say that we need honesty, open-mindedness and willingness to uh, be successful in this program, that those things are indispensable to my recovery. I had none of those, no willingness. I wasn't ready to get sober. I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for hot boys. And uh, I had no honesty. I lied about my name and I refused to say alcoholic. So I just folded my arms and I was like, Jen, DUI. So now it's a running joke for all of my friends. Oh, thank you guys for coming too. I love you. Um, who like anytime I'm being a little bit unspiritual, they're like, Jen, knock it off. <laughs> she's the she's the bad doppelganger. Like she's the one that's on Suboxone maintenance and works, works Narcotics Anonymous, doesn't do the steps, doesn't sponsor other women. <laughs> uh, so uh, I only heard the differences in that meeting. I, uh, I was judging super hard. I thought, mm, you're so sick. Thank God this is here for you. You really need this. <laughs> and uh, I went home and I drank on the way home. I stopped and I got a bottle and I drank at that meeting and at the people in it. I only went to one other meeting and I realized that I could forge my own court card. And I proceeded to cause about three more years worth of wreckage. You know, in that time, I gave myself wicked pancreatitis. To the point where I was like sitting on my toilet naked, vomiting into a tiny little trash can and just peeing out of my butt at the same time. And I'm like still shaking so badly that I've got a bit of vodka right next to me on the sink. And I'm trying to gingerly sip down, just sip by sip and keep it down so that I can stop shaking enough to go clean out the trash can and repeat the entire cycle. And I refused to go to the hospital. I had purple bruises down my back from bleeding on the inside. I knew exactly what it was. And I thought, you know what? Like if I go to the hospital, they're going to figure me out. I work there. Like I'm, I'm too good to do that. If I go to any hospital, they're going to figure me out because somehow I'm that important that everything is connected and thinking about me. And I, uh, so I didn't, I, I thought, okay, well, you know, 33% of these cases when left untreated are fatal. Hopefully I'm not, hopefully I'm not one. And I, I sat in my apartment and I was so physically dependent that I had to continue to drink. And that pain was excruciating. It felt like I was getting stabbed in the sternum all the time. I know that Jacob understands that pain, uh, pain like un uh, unlike any other. I recently just had a kidney stone and I would take that kidney stone any day of the week over the pain of that pancreatitis. But that still didn't get me sober. Uh, you know, I continued to work. I continued to drink. I started getting so bad that I quit my job because I knew I was going to kill somebody. I, uh, I was working in the ER and my ex, the ex fiance had made a really terrible critical medical error as a result of being hung over at work and um, didn't lose his job for it then, but he ultimately lost his medical license and is now in federal prison. So God was really looking out for me then. Uh, but I knew that I was going to, that I was going to really hurt somebody and I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. So I quit my job, but I didn't tell anybody. And I tried to drink myself to death in my apartment for a month. My family finally caught on. And, uh, you know, when I say it was bad, it was bad. Um, I couldn't shower. My hair was all matted, uh, bottles all over the floor. Um, you know, I, I was so afraid of everything and everyone. I couldn't leave my 
apartment. It was just, it got so unmanageable to the point where I just wanted to curl up and die in that apartment. And then I would just sit in my self-pity and shame and think like, oh, my family's going to have to come clean this out, which they ultimately did. Uh, I stopped answering my phone for two weeks and my mom and dad got worried and, and came up. And uh, I, I had caused them so much grief, but they uh, they came to the rescue and, and got me out of that apartment. They I don't remember much of that move. I moved back down here in, in with mom and dad. And I, I tried to white knuckle it. I, I told them that I was fine. It was just L.A. It was just this. It was just these circumstances. I can do this on my own. And I was able to white knuckle together maybe 30 days. Um, and then the last time that I drank, I was in jail in less than 12 hours. I, uh, that was when I got arrested right on the corner there. I got another DUI. I totaled my car uh, and another car and hurt some people this time. And, you know, it's, it's why I always tell my sponsees, never say never. You know, if you think that when I was 20 years old, I was like, I'm probably going to put a needle in my arm one day. Probably going to crash into people and hurt them. Probably going to get a couple DUIs, do some jail time for other things, you know. I would have told you that you're crazy and that those things absolutely would never be possible, but I'm an alcoholic. I have a physical allergy. I have a mental obsession and a spiritual malady where you put one substance in me, doesn't matter how much or what it is. The pilot light is lit. I'm off to the races. The word moderation is out the window and I am on again. I can't control how much I take and I can't stop if I want to. And that is what makes me an alcoholic. And so I went into treatment because I was looking at a good amount of time, not because I wanted to. The last thing in the world that I wanted to do was get sober. But I do remember as I was being arrested, feeling a small sense of relief that it was done. You know, I was like, either way, what, whatever way this goes, I'm, I'm done. I can't live like this anymore. And, you know, A Vision for You, it talks about the jumping off point where we know loneliness like nobody else will and where it's I can't live with it, but I can't live without it. I'm so physically dependent and powerless at this point that I need it to survive, but it's also killing me at the exact same time. And I uh, threw a pretty big few temper tantrums when I got into treatment. I currently work in treatment. And so anytime I get a really difficult point, I'm like, oh, that's because of me. <laughs> and that's, that's God showing me what I was like. Um, and the last place in the world that I wanted to come was Alcoholics Anonymous. I kept hearing people tell me that I needed a solution. And I said, to what? I, I put it down. I'm physically sober. Like, this is it. I, I did everything that you asked. And I couldn't understand why I got so much worse. You know, all of a sudden, I can't sit still for more than nine minutes at a time. There's a hamster up there that's just on meth all the time. Like, those racing thoughts where I, I just can't control anything. And uh, I got desperate enough that the only way that I could get out of the house in the beginning was if I was in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and if my sponsor was taking me there. So I very reluctantly got a sponsor and that woman just absolutely saved my life. And she had to come in and check me out to go to meetings. But I started going to a lot of meetings again, not because I wanted to be there. It was just the lesser of two evils. And I started to kind of hear the similarities a little bit. I appreciate birthday shares so much. They hold a very special place in my heart because that was what kept me around my, my third day sober. I was convinced that my parents had paid this girl to get up and tell my story because she told my exact same story and I'm just sobbing in tears. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. 
Everybody assured me that that was not the case. Again, I'm not that important. And uh, that, that kept me going. I was going to leave treatment that night. And that girl and her, her one-year birthday kept me around. Her parents were there. She had a ton of friends there, something I didn't have. And the next night in a meeting, I raised my hand and I identified as a newcomer. And I said, I'm cat, I'm an alcoholic and I have no friends because nobody wanted me in their lives. You know, my counselor in treatment was like, okay, let's go through your cell phone. Who do we need to cut out and block off social media? And I just started crying. And I looked at him and I was like, nobody, everyone had already done that to me. I had become that person that you compare yourself to, to feel a little bit better about your drinking. No, at least I'm not as bad as cat. And so, uh, I, you know, my, my family wasn't speaking to me. I had no one. And what you guys had looked a hell of a lot better than what I had, but I still didn't know that that's what I needed. I needed to be forced into these seats, but that was just God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. That level of excruciating vulnerability for me to say, I have no one and I want to live. That's, that's not of my own doing. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, what are you doing? And then I got swarmed after that meeting. And a lot of the people that I met that night are still some of my very best friends to this day. Uh, they threw me in a truck and took me out to dinner after. And I was so uncomfortable because they paid for my food. And I'm like, what is happening here? And I was like, well, the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was get coffee with you after the meeting. Or, or, or go fellowship. That sounded awful and terrifying to me. I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't want to be seen. I wanted to crawl out of my skin and hide in a corner. But again, I wanted to live more than I wanted to die. And this was just my higher power acting in my life, giving me a little bit of courage to have some faith in you guys. And it started to get more comfortable. Like I went from being that terminally unique Jen, DUI, who's nobody can understand me. I'm the worst person on the face of the planet, which is still just ego, by the way. Me thinking I'm a total piece of crap, I'm still all I think about. You know, I go from being that terminally unique, special person to through this program and these steps to becoming uniquely qualified to help other women, to help other alcoholics. Like we can relate to one another like nobody else can. And you know, you know, within minutes, like, yeah, no, like the first time that I authentically shared in a meeting about getting a DUI on my wedding day, I was mortified to share it. And then everyone's like, yeah, that's right, all right, that's amazing. I'm like, you guys are sick. <laughs> I'm home. This, this is good. You know, and like the fact that I stayed around Alcoholics Anonymous was an absolute miracle. You know, the, the threat of consequences kept me in treatment, but crazy things happened at, at meetings and I just couldn't sit still. Like in my fourth meeting, I farted and I thought that I was actually going to die. Like it was so bad. It was quiet. It was just, and I was sitting in the middle of the row. So I like couldn't shimmy past people to get out. <laughs> I called my sponsor after and I was like, you listen to me. Anything that I've ever been through, the sexual assault, the trauma, the guilt, the shame, everything. This is the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I was like, I'm never coming back to meeting. She's like, yes, you are. You're not that important. I'm like, everybody's going to think about me. I like threw a temper tantrum in a meeting because somebody told me it was easy to stay sober and in my cushy rehab. And I flipped a table over and I was like, F you, you know, it's like. I'm 12 days sober. I'm crawling out of my skin. I'm in rehab. I'm talking about alcohol 27 hours a day. And you throw me into sober living with women. And I hate women. Like, it is not easy for me to stay sober. I'm dying right now. Uh, but I heard 
some suggestions over and over and over again in these rooms, like get a sponsor, call that sponsor, make sure that that sponsor knows that you're their sponsor or that they're your sponsor. And so I, I would call and I would ask for help. I'd be like, what do I do? I can't turn my brain off. I'm, I feel like I'm dying. And she would tell me things like, Kat, you just need to take the next indicated right step. And I'd be like, listen, I, uh, I'm 12 days sober. I'm crawling out of my skin. I've had the 1877 cars for kids song stuck in my head for four hours. And I just put my shoes on the wrong feet. Like I'm going to need you to be more specific than that. And she would always say the same thing. She'd say, go help somebody. And then she'd hang up on me and I'd call her back and be like, I think we got disconnected. She'd be like, no, we didn't go help somebody. And then she'd hang up the phone. And I thought there's no, who can I possibly help at 14 days sober? She said, well, your, your roommate's kicking heroin. Like she's sick as a dog. Why don't you go get her some Gatorade and just ask her how she's doing? So I did that. And I continued to follow sponsor's suggestion. I had no concept of a higher power. I didn't want one. I didn't think that I needed one. Um, I said that I didn't believe, but really all that was deep down was fear that I wasn't worthy. And my sponsor told me to pray. And I was like, I'm so uncomfortable doing that. I don't know what I'm praying to. She's like, well, this is your second step. Just take some suggestion and just start seeking it. Just say the serenity prayer and pray for willingness. And that's something that I still do every single morning. And I started to do that. And I, I started to read the pages that she told me to read. And, and we started getting into the big book. And I, there, I thought that there's no way in hell that I was going to be able to re relate to this book that was written in 1939 with an old white dude. And we read the story acceptance was the answer. And I was like, oh, that's, that's how I drank. <laughs> like, that's exactly what I did in the hospital. <laughs> And it was just like the spiritual bitch slap that I absolutely <laughs> needed to become willing. And I, I did everything that that woman told me, including don't date or have sex with anybody for a year. And I love that I followed that suggestion because now I get to give it to sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she said that after my fourth step, when I thought that I was a victim of the world and I couldn't see anything about myself. I had no clue about past relationships. And mostly I couldn't see that I wasn't whole. You know, I, I, I couldn't see how little self-esteem and self-love I truly had. I couldn't see how much I was putting my value and worth in all the wrong people, in all the wrong places, for all the wrong reasons. And I was just scared to be alone. You know, we did that third step and I didn't really understand it. Um, she had me rewrite the prayer, which helped a little bit, but I... I I didn't really get step three until I took my first sponsee through it. And that was when step three really took a whole new meaning for me. But I did that fourth and fifth step and I uh, physically vomited before I did my fifth step. It was literally just everything trying to come out. And I was, I was honest with that woman. I told her things that I hadn't told anybody in the entire world. And she loved me. You know, she told me that everything was okay, that I love you. You know, we're going to get through all this together and all of these things that you think are so terrible and so shameful, you're going to help people with them. And that's powerful and that's positive. And all of those scars are beautiful and they're going to be assets one day to help the next girl. And like, that's something that I hold very near and dear to my heart, you know, and then we, we did six and seven and I got worse because now I found all these character defects that I didn't think that I had. And so I was like, I would call her and I'm like, Linda, I'm getting, I've pulled ego for eight days in a row. Can't we just, can't I just throw this one out? And I realize as I'm telling her this, that I'm interrupting my sponsor, like 
a million times and she just let me do it. She just let me talk. And I was like, oh, I need some humility, huh? She was like, yeah, we're just going to keep working on that one. And so I, the best that I can do still some days is, is just realizing when it's already happened and going back to do what I can to make it right. But I try not to live in my character defects. I try to live in God's will as much, as much as I can. I try to seek that. Um, when I did my amends, the, the most powerful amends that I did was, was with my mom. And, you know, again, happy mother's day to any moms out there. I waited until I had 11 and a half months sober to make the amends to my mom and dad, because how many times had I said, I swear, I'll never do this again. I promise I'm done. Lie, 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 disappointment, disappointment, heartache after heartache. And my sponsor told me, if you make that amends and you go out again, I think you're going to kill them. So like, let's, let's just put a lot of action behind those words and, uh, you know, give it some time, like just keep making that living amends of doing the next right thing every day. So one of those things that I still do to this day is I'll just, I'll call my mom and I'll be like, mom, you're right. She's like, about what? I'm like, I don't know, but about something (laughs) in the past that I was convinced that you were wrong about, like, you're right. And I love you. You know, I I try to call and ask about her day and, and how she's doing and when I did make that amends, I practiced it with my sponsor. We rehearsed it. It's what I do with my sponsees so that I could go in there and deliver it with my chin up and my head held high and give them the integrity of the amends that they deserved. Still cried through the whole thing. And at the end of it, when we ask, is there anything I'm forgetting? Is there anything I left off? What can I do to make it right? My mom busts out a full legal notepad and starts crossing shit off the list. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I got to sit there and listen quietly as my mom told me what it felt like not to be able to exhale for 16 years and what my you know my dad telling me what it felt like when I called him in psychosis and he was out of the country and couldn't do anything to help me and and so many things that I had no idea were such a huge importance to them but as it was happening God was absolutely in that room I could see the pain lift from her shoulders I I could see years worth of agony just be free. And and I was able, because of this program and letting God in, I was able to receive that quietly and, and, and with respect. And our relationship has changed immensely since like I, we are closer than we ever were before things got really, truly bad. And, uh, you know, today, my dad, that wouldn't answer my calls from jail. Um, I found out I'm his durable power of attorney. And I found that out when my dad was a vegetable, you know, um, this past summer, he had a brain tumor, had surgery, was dropped on his head and got a massive brain bleed. And he was in the ICU. And, uh, I got to stay sober through that. I I got to stay. Thank you. I got to stay sober through all of that because of Alcoholics Anonymous and these steps. And because the obsession to drink has been lifted, you know, it's difficult to describe the obsession being lifted to somebody who doesn't understand it. So my mom would be like, Oh my God, are you good? Do you want to drink? Or I'm like, mom, that's the farthest thing from my mind. Like the thought of a drink hasn't even crossed my mind. That's just not an option today. And I, I raised my hand in a meeting and I got vulnerable and I said, I'm scared. I'm, I'm terrified. I need help. I don't know what to do. And again, my fellows bum rushed me with their past experience, strength and help. You know, a friend told me I didn't stay sober through my dad's death. It was the worst mistake. Like keep going. You can do it. Other people, people would drive me up to the hospital. It's just an absolute miracle. Kate saved my life one of those days because I was about to go, I mean, I said this out loud. We were just doing her six and seven step. Uh, the day that my dad had surgery 
And we finished and I get a phone call from the hospital that they're giving my dad Tylenol as pain medication after brain surgery. The alcoholic in me, the daughter in me and the medical professional in me were like, release the Kraken, like, oh my God. I, will, I told her out loud, I'm like, I'm gonna go up there and rain unspiritual hell all over that hospital. And then I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, but what would I tell you to do in this situation? <laughs> and she's like, you'd probably tell me to, to go under, be understanding and, and polite and be of service. And so I did, I went up and took those nurses coffee and, and cake pops. And two days later, I had to beg those nurses to let me come stay the night in the ICU with my dad because I thought he was gonna die. And I needed him to know that his daughter was there and present. I told his PA, I was like, look, medical professional to medical professional. We both know what this looks like. Like, this is bad. You know, we're probably going to lose him tonight. It was my sponsor's sobriety birthday. She dropped everything she was doing. She had family in from out of town. I needed her that night to take me up to the hospital. And I got to spend that night with my dad. He was completely unconscious, unresponsive, but he knew. He knew that I was there. And I got to just be present as a daughter and strong for him and strong for my mom. I got a text from my mom that night. I'm so much at peace knowing that you're there with your dad. I was able to just be a daughter and not tell the nurses like, hey, I think you should adjust this to like two megs per giggling. You know, I, I was just able to be there and hold his hand the entire night and ask God for help and just to give me the strength to get through it, whatever the outcome. And had the outcome been terrible, I would have been okay too. Like I would have been able to get through it sober. We can get through anything sober because of this program and we're stronger for it. It just adds to our spiritual repertoire that we get to use to help other people one day. And, and God gave me strength that night and, and that those whole months that he was in the ICU. And uh, he's phenomenal today. He got his license back before I did. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a gift. It's an absolute gift. But the real gift in this program, yes, it's being able to handle life on life's terms or life on God's terms, as I like to say. Um, has been sponsorship, like getting to see Kate grow in the last, especially in the last few months and get to come home and watch her like sit at the table that we do step work at doing step work with her sponsees just fills my heart with more joy than I've ever had in my entire life. Getting to see my first sponsee take her one year birthday. And now her sponsee, my first grand sponsee is about to take her one year. Like it just, I have a purpose today. You know, I no longer, I'm no longer this empty shell of Jen. Today, I, I get to trust God, clean house and help others. And that's the most beautiful thing in my life because I'm not that important. <laughs> it's not about me today. It's all about what can I do to help the next suffering alcoholic. Whenever I get into my head or whenever a sponsee gets into hers, I just give the same suggestion that was given to me. Go help somebody. Hang up the phone. Well, I try not to hang up the phone, but my sponsor's still pretty, pretty rough in that way. But, uh, you know, I, I get to walk other women through these steps. And any time that I do, the steps take on a whole new meaning. The book takes on a whole new meaning. The term solution takes on a whole new meaning in my heart. You know, my relationship with God, that changed the most in my life when I first, when I got my first sponsee, because now the way that I'm praying is all different. Instead of help me, help me, help me. Now it's, God, just use me, help me be useful, do what I can to be useful. And the other day I was at work and I found this devotional book that was sitting out and I'm not a religious person. And I, I don't usually, I usually read the daily reflection, you know, morning meditation. Um, and I, I found this devotional book and I opened it up and the, the topic for the day was useful. And it was talking about how some of God, most of God's strongest warriors are some of the most broken people. 
And it went on to say, I loved the quote that ended it. It said, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips those who are called. And that's what he's done with us. I believe that we're some of God's favorite kids. You know, we are equipped to help the next alcoholic. We are equipped to help the next person who thinks that their life is absolutely hopeless and meaningless and is feels dead inside. Like we, we get to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. We're straight up beyond human aid. <laughs> it's, it's bad. We're not insane doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. We know what's going to happen. I know jails, institutions, and death time and time and time again. I've proven it to myself yet. I continue to do it anyway, even though it's injurious to me and I can't stop. I have that phenomenon of craving that makes me different from the normal temperate drinker. And it's that's terrifying when you realize that when I came to really came, when I came to believe my own powerlessness and fully conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic, I could admit it all day long. That was no problem. It hurt less if I called myself an alcoholic than if you called me an alcoholic, but accepting it, that was a tough pill to swallow, but I did it with the help of you guys. I can't do this thing alone. You know, I love, I used to hate the cheesy AA slogans, but I love them now. You know, the difference between illness and wellness is we. Like, this is not a me program. I can't do this by myself. And Jacob always says, I can't do it without you. And I wouldn't want to. And, and that's absolutely the case. Like with you guys in this room, I may be powerless over alcohol, but like, I feel God in this room tonight. And together we are extremely powerful. And that relationship with my higher power has developed over time. It's the most important thing in my life. I didn't even know that I needed it, but it's just my job to continue seeking it. It's just my job to keep growing towards it, to keep looking for it, to keep relying and trusting on it, not just believing it, to keep seeing how God has worked in my life. You know, God's fingerprints are all over my life in the past. And just to, you know, keep trusting that wherever I'm at, it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, if you're new or if you're struggling, or even if you're not, and you feel a little bit stale on your steps, go help somebody. <laughs> it's literally the answer to all of my problems. It's the biggest solution because the bondage of self, that's my issue. That third step prayer, leave me of the bondage of self. Not so the cat can be happy, joyous, and free. Don't take away my difficulties so life can be super easy for me, but so that I can better do God's will, not cat's will. Cat's will bad. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, that's what this program has given me. It's given me a purpose. It's given me amazing friends that show up for me today. It's given me amazing young women in my life that I get to sponsor that, you know, I'm not a mom myself, but I know the last time something really awful happened to one of my sponsees. I was in the car with my mom and uh, I had that super sick gut, like dropping heart wrenching feeling. And I just remember putting down my phone after the phone call and I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like if this is how I feel about a sponsee that I've been working with for a year, I can't imagine the torment that I've put you through for my entire life. You know, I'm so sorry. I love you. And, uh, you know, like that's just the relationship that I get to have with my, with my mom today, with my family today, with you guys today, with the world Today, I get to participate in my life, and I'm so grateful that tonight I got to participate in yours for a little bit. So, thank you guys so much for uh, letting me share and for letting me ramble on. I really appreciate it. <laughs>